Hello and welcome back to the Creative Coding Podcast and back to a continuation of... Oh, sorry, I'm Ian Lobb. <laughs> yes, I'm simply Delisle. I was and like... This is... <laughs> I was waiting, just waiting for the proper... See, why can't we do these intros? Why can't... What's wrong with us? It's not hard, is it? It's the, I'm blaming the one second delay on it's the It's definitely the latency. It's definitely not... Our, it cannot be our incompetence. <laughs> anyway, yes, welcome to the show. So this is a continuation of Ian's Guide to Game Design. This is going to be part three. Maybe the final part, maybe not. Who knows? It's been an ongoing series, hasn't it? How many have we done? Have we done two so far? Yeah, we've done two. It feels like three. This is part three. We've just done two. And what did we talk about so far? We've talked about... uh, (laughs) We've talked about (laughs) audiovisual communication and we've talked about... So we talked about uh, goal-based game mechanics... And we mm-hmm. talked about some of audiovisual feedback. So right. we're continuing talking about. We, so last time we talked about um, we talked about visual communication, and today we're going to kick off by talking about animation. So it's a continuation of the discussion of of audiovisuals. So animation. I should say part two was episode fifty seven, and part one, episode fifty three. Well, there you go. So, uh, animation. So, lots of people you might have tried animating, but if you actually study some of the principles that have been written down by some of the great animators, you, I think you will find that you get way better at it. Like, for me, this has definitely been true. So, a really good book is The Illusion of Life, Disney Animation, by Ollie Johnston and Frank Thomas, who, was, um, who are some very famous or very... Uh, talented Disney animators um, and they outlined 12 key principles of animation which we're going to spoil now so you don't have to buy the book if you don't want it um, so and so the, these the, the illusion of life so it's these animation techniques that can just help your animation look more lifelike yeah not necessarily yeah so just they look makes your animations look better it's not necessarily yeah. more realistic and a lot of times it's the opposite it's less realistic but um, more, more sort of pleasing more exactly more pleasing yeah. so, and, and this has found a, a resurgence recently hasn't it it's now that web animation and interface animation is a thing and of course our regular contributor to the podcast and friend Val Head is very is an expert on web animation has a book we should plug her book really but yeah she talks about these principles as well so it's sort of leaked into into interface design recently as well as games mm. yeah it has i mean especially the f- the first one that i've got on the list is squash and stretch and that's one that you definitely see in interface design when you're scrolling on your iphone or whatever they, they will do things like they'll squish things up and they'll um do all that stuff so squash and stretch the idea is that basically when things uh accelerate they stretch out and when things decelerate they squash up um it's true of some things in real life. For example, a bouncing ball um, does squash when it hits the ground. It doesn't really stretch when it goes up, but because the a fast movement basically smears or motion blurs, um, which creates the the look of a stretch mm. anyway. So, but then also like uh, when a person jumps, you you when you jump up, you actually elongate your body. And when you land, you squish your body naturally to sort of cushion the the landing. So 
um it's it's just interesting that these things they have so many real world times and there's always counter examples of things that don't squash and stretch for example but um it's quite I guess it just helps to sell the movement doesn't it it does it makes things you sort of have to see this is a really hard one to do just in audio form you sort of have to see it but there's something yeah. about an an animation of a bouncing ball with true like correct gravity physics versus like a hand animated so let's just say a simulation of a ball bouncing versus a hand animated ball that has a really exaggerated elongated stretch when it rises up and a really exaggerated squish when it falls down and and when you watch an animation at, at full speed like when you're not looking at the individual frames you don't even really notice it you don't notice what the difference is but it just looks better it looks more pleasing it's kind of like brain hacking isn't it it is yeah it is <laughs> um I, there isn't a slide for this so we'll talk about it now but there's a thing called smears which is where you draw sort of the motion blur in an animation frame um and this is something that people have recently started noticing more i guess and um but disney were really good at it it's one of the reasons that their stuff looks so smooth so people have isolated individual shots from say aladdin where aladdin's face just looks like this weird elongated bent out of shape thing and it's because this one frame is taken from the middle of a head turn and so rather than just it being uh, like a 3D snapshot of his head at that time, you're seeing the movement actually drawn out. Is so it like a motion blur or is it's it? It's almost like, a, but it's not drawn blurred. It's called, that's why it's called a smear. It's like, it's a sharp motion blur, basically. Right. Um, so you can sort of still see the features, but they're sort of stretched and yeah, weirdly. Yeah. And it also, it almost looks like a split scan, say, where like, yeah. just say a head's turning part yes. of the head is more turned than the other part so if you imagine a head moving really sharply from left to right you'd see like the profile on both sides mm. that kind yeah, of exactly thing, that it? sort exactly that sort of thing it's sort of like the 3d volume that the the shape moves through space right yeah so there's a game called overwatch which is out at the moment which um has really great character design really great it's really well animated and what people have noticed is that this uses the exact same techniques um, but in 3D. So mm. if you pause individual frames um, of Overwatch, they're actually doing mesh deformations for some of the animations where they're actually distorting the objects out of shape, the characters out of shape to give a smoother motion, which I think is really interesting. Mm. Um, so cool. next principle, anticipation. So this is basically before you do something in an animation, you have an anticipation frame like a, a wind up basically where you see the thing prepare for the animation so if someone's going to bring a hammer down say what they'll do before they so you know they're smashing a hammer down on the floor before they smash it down they'll raise it up above their head and that's the anticipation it it, it prepares you for the action that's going to come next if you go straight from like an idle frame to an action um you don't expect it's like where did that come from um so the big problem this creates in video games is that you want the game to respond instantly to your interaction so if you you've got a character standing there and then you, there's a jump button when you press the jump button you don't want to see them crouch down and power up the jump and then do it you want to see them just 
which is what you would do in real life, right? If you're going to do a big jump in real life, you'd duck down first yeah. to get a bigger spring off your legs. But in a game, it has to happen right away. And so one of the ways to get around that is to have a really bouncy idle. So Right, when, so it's almost, almost ready to move yeah, at any point. Exactly, and so I that's guess- what... Something like Street Fighter 2, all the characters are constantly jiggling on the spot. And that way they can go into any of their moves and it looks it looks right. It looks like, oh, they were ready to do that. But mm, That's interesting. I suppose that you really notice that in the, the first version of Prince of Persia, mm. right? Where it has really good animation, but it doesn't feel like it responds to you immediately at all, does it? It's it's really interesting. It's because they did it so realistically in Prince of Persia with the rotoscoping. Mm. Um all these animations yeah they take too long they have yeah. too big of a wind up and uh yeah so that's quite interesting anticipation really important one an easy one to miss and just things like if you're going to have a character come on from the side of the screen i mean this applies more to linear animation i guess than games but have the characters look off the screen first and then they can watch them come in it just it's just it's more it's little things like that that just make it more more believable so next one is, which we were just talking about, in fact, is um, next principle is idle. So basically means that, or moving hold, they call it in the book, I think. And it basically means that even when things are still, they should be moving. So if a character stood on the spot, they shouldn't be like a freeze frame. They should be breathing or jiggling around or fidgeting. And, you know, if you go back to things like Steamboat, Steamboat Willie, which is one of Walt Disney's first films, uh, everything animates, like the ch- the chimney on the boat is like puffing and like... <laughs> Like everything is alive, the trees are alive, the trees are like dancing around, like everything is moving all the time. That's like possibly the most extreme version of that <laughs> idol ever, isn't it? Like like the uh, Mickey Mouse is in it, isn't he? He's always jiggling around. It's like, yeah. just stay still, for God's sake. It's like, yeah, you, you can definitely take this one too far, but uh, it's... I guess that's it, why that film was so innovative, wasn't it? Because we'd never really seen anything like that before. It had such a sense of energy and aliveness mm. right yeah totally animation was a very new media then media yeah i mean there are earlier animations but they tend to be more literal like yeah they're just trying to look lifelike whereas yeah disney i guess invented the idea of animation as a creative medium in terms of yeah just make everything move around because it's more fun right that's you've come to see the things be to animate to come to life it's literally what animation means um yeah so uh, an interesting one for this for video games is if you've got an environment say it's a factory right and that's where your game takes place even when there's nothing happening in the factory it's good to have things moving so, for example, you could have steam pouring out of a vent or smoke coming out of a chimney. You could have a conveyor belt that's constantly moving. You could have some dust blowing across the floor. You could have some sparks coming out of a, an electric cable or of a, some sort of grinder or something. It's just like anything to just bring the scene to life so that it's not like still, I think, is really interesting. And it does make things visually much more interesting. Yeah, it's just it's, it's the difference between a picture, isn't it? And uh an environment mm. yeah absolutely it doesn't need much either does it i find in fact no. you probably don't want too much <laughs> I th- well i think it's hard to have too much like really but, yeah i mean think about things otherwise like... you'll have the chimneys dancing around and all sorts <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that's what you want really you want the chimneys dancing around no maybe i mean it has to f- suit, it has to suit <laughs> the the aesthetic of your yeah, game that course. you're going for right so 
don't know it's a, a really important one though so nothing should ever really be still because it looks like it's paused or something right it looks mm. wrong things should be moving like a classic one is trees as well like if i look out of my window and, and look at the trees that i can see over my back garden i'm most looking of out them, my window now oh, most of the raining. trees are most of the trees are moving yeah like most most times that i look they're just swaying around but even though it's not that windy they're still moving yeah Mind absolutely you, it's the rain and then also rain is an, another classic one. It's like, well, it rains quite a lot. So if you're outside <laughs> in your game, why shouldn't it be raining? You can see well, it does the rain. Yeah, exactly. Like that's <laughs> a really, uh, really great way to make an environment more interesting is applies like some weather. Okay, so next, next principle, drag and follow through. So this is basically where when you have a movement in an animation, some parts of it will lag behind other parts. So if you've got a dog with a floppy face and it turns its head the top of its head like the hard skull bit will turn first and then its big fat floppy jowls will follow after Um, and this is just a real principle of like this isn't even one that you really have to exaggerate if you look at the real world most motions have parts that lag behind basically that that ease slower than other parts um you know so if you jump in the air your clothes will almost do the opposite motion so just say you're wearing like a trench coat or a scarf or something if you jump in the air your clothes will do the opposite motion to you are so when you're going up the clothes will be so when you go up the uh, your scarf will point downwards right and when you're falling your scarf will start to point up but these things don't correlate exactly to the time when you're going up and down so there's a bit, a bit where delay, you're there? yeah there's a bit where you're starting to come down but your scarf is still going up and yeah that that is the thing that makes movement seem really fluid and flow into each other nicely um it's a really important one so next one is the classic probably the first principle of animation that i ever learned about which is ease in and out and it's basically if you have a motion that's completely linear, i.e. if you drew it on a graph, um, it would just be a straight line um, where for every second that goes by, you move the same amount. That's really boring and feels... It's robotic, isn't it? So yeah, exactly. If you move from point A to point B, it just starts at full speed and then just comes to a dead stop. Nothing in life moves that way, even if it looks like it does. Yeah, what things actually tend to do is they accelerate. They start from static, they accelerate up to a top speed, they go along like that for a bit, and then they accelerate down, they decelerate um, to a stopping position. Um, so presumably you heard about ease in and out the first time when you were doing Flash, right? They- I'm trying to remember, yeah, because it was exactly. So in Director, we didn't have ease in and out, all tweens were... Well, we didn't were, really think about it, did we, in Director? Well, all tweens were just linear, but yeah. you could... Or were they? I can't remember. I can't remember now. That was so long ago. You could always just add more keyframes yourself, though, to simulate mm. it, right? So you have a, a set of linear things. Yeah. Um, but Flash had the thing, you right-clicked an animation and you say, like, ease out or ease in. And and it just it does make a huge difference. And you, you can code this in lots of ways, like the famous weighted average or whatever it's called smooth stepping smooth stepping you know the one where you well that's for you, an ease you always, out really yeah oh yeah it doesn't it doesn't do ease in in fact yeah that's true no but um, we talked about that before haven't we 
Yeah, it's it's a good classic. One, it's a classic. So That's my th- favorite line of code. The next principle I want to talk about is um, pose to pose animation. Well, in the book, they basically talk about the difference between straight ahead animating, which is where you just start with one frame and you draw the next frame and you draw the next frame until you get to where you need to be um, versus pose to pose or keyframed animation, which is basically where you draw the most important frames of an animation and then you fill in the gaps of how to get there. And this is probably like the best way to animate. It's probably uh, when you're doing an animation, you want it to have you want it to have a set of keyframes that look good basically. So if it's if you're making a jump animation, you want the you want a really cool looking rise up frame. You want a really cool looking fall frame. You want a really cool looking landing frame. Those are the important things to get right. Um, and then you basically just tween between those frames and it normally looks okay. And that's, that's of course, comes right back from history in the early days of animation, right? Yeah, so basically in the past you would have a tweener would be an actual person who <laughs> you'd have the main artist who would draw the keyframes and the tweener would be a junior animator who would come and draw the missing frames to make short the animation. For, short for in-between, of course. Yes. Yeah, and so, but now obviously you can just do all this computerized and just do it with code, whatever. Do it with code, yeah. Or, Everyone's or, or. jobs being replaced by computers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and the, the tweeners were the first ones to go. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the cab drivers next. Um, next principle is arcs. So things in the real world often move in arcs which basically means that they are um, they pivot from some point and they move in a, a swinging arc. So your arms and legs move in arcs. Um, uh, bikes, bikes, cars move in arcs. Um, anything where you've got a pivot point and then things are rotating around it. The, um, the wheels of the bike. So really funny yeah, the wheels of think. the wheels. The wheel of a bike t- takes an arc, right? The wheel of a car yeah. follows an is that, arc. Is that a bit obvious? Um, I guess it wasn't at the time. Hmm. I mean, anything that's a pendulum is going to move in a arc, isn't it? But I guess the point is that most hinge. most things are some sort of pendulum. I guess that that's the point of this. Really, yeah. Oh, also, pen- like if you take something, you know, a sine wave is an example of an arc as well, isn't it? So, um, if if you're walking down the road if you're walking along your head follows like a sine wave of bobbing right with each step and that's like an arc it's it's not well it's not really i don't know like an arc, <laughs> okay that's a bit of a weird one it's obviously very related to okay. circular well, motion yeah let's not stick too long on the ones that <laughs> let's are, skip that, that one quite make sense so the next one is staging and it basically means that you present the animation to the audience it seems obvious but you know, a good way to think about this is when you go and see a play, the characters do not face each other as if they they like they would in real life. Yeah. Everything, everyone faces to the audience so that you can see them, right? Um, the you know the like something like the Last Supper, right? All the yeah. the painter, famous painting, all yeah. of the disciples are sat on the same side of the table. This yeah. isn't what you would do in real life. But it make it works for a picture. It makes a nice picture, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's astonishing uh, like, if you look at TV and film, 
it's astonishing how much you can get away with because there's that really famous kind of setup for a shot well there'll be a character in the foreground like really close to the camera looking at the camera and there'll yep. be someone in the background also looking at the camera and they'll be having a conversation <laughs> yeah that's right? a classic one in fact in my book about i've got a book about film directing um it's like that i had bought when i was a student and it has that shot in it it's like yeah. this is a great shot because it you can it's see really both good. the characters faces and it also sort of suggests that there's some sort of you know, like the person in the foreground isn't is maybe trying to distance themselves from the mm. person in the background. Yeah, Although that would never. Can you imagine that if you were having a chat with someone and they were literally just facing the wall? Well, if they were like, really Look at me upset when I'm talking you. to you. If they were really upset with you, yeah, you'd just be like, well, <laughs> "Oh, just get over yourself." There's not even a camera there. <laughs> Stop being so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, this is my close up. <laughs> Um, I'm, just, so, I'm just broadcasting on Periscope. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, TV and film have all their own staging issues to do with. Have you ever heard of the line of action? Uh, yeah, crossing. Oh, is that crossing the line? Or yeah, is that crossing. A like, well, yeah, cross. So you don't cross the line of action. You don't basically. crossing the line. Yeah. So that's uh, if you're in the scene. That's the eye line between the two characters. You you always stay on one side of it or the other. Yeah. If you cross over it, it basically stage left and stage right flip over. And yeah. so it becomes really confusing. Yeah, because um, basically the characters just seem to switch sides. So you can sort of <laughs> move around anywhere on that side of the line. If you're really clever, you can switch the line, but you just have to be sort of aware of it. And you yes, have to do a really it. good editor can do it in like a set of different yeah. like moves, camera moves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, and I mean, another example, Street Fighter 2, um, that was the example I used in my original talk that, that this little podcast guide is based on. But um, in Street Fighter, all the characters are drawn in Street Fighter 2, all the characters are drawn to face the camera. So basically you see there, everyone is standing sideways, essentially. <laughs> it's, you, this wouldn't work in real life as a way to fight. It's a fighting <laughs> style, crab style, where you, you actually stand and, and face an audience and your uh yeah it's very strange it's very strange but the reason but it, you do it, it reads is, totally normally though it doesn't does it, That's it the does because it's a convention it's yeah. a convention and you you don't think about it the yeah, three quarters view is very forgiving um uh for 2d games like if something drawn in three quarters can move left and right on the screen but it can also move up and down the screen if you've got an isometric game and it still looks okay. And it shows, it lets the character move sideways whilst you also being able to see all of their face. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very useful technique. You find that almost everything is drawn in three quarters. Like if you watch a cartoon like Gravity Falls or Adventure Time or whatever, most of the shots, the characters are in three quarters. Um, so you mean sort of slightly facing you? Right. Yeah, it literally means like not facing you, not profile, somewhere, somewhere in, between. in between. Yeah. How do, why, does, why does that why does that turn into three quarters? I don't know because it's, it's weird, isn't it? It should be one quarter. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> I don't know. I've always just known that as three quarters. Maybe I, maybe that's not even. What it it's made called. sense to me as well when you said it, so it must be a thing. That is weird though, isn't it? Now that I say that. 45 degrees. 45 degree angle it. from the camera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's rename it 
And what's Pi interesting is that a 45 degree angle down onto a game surface is also a really good angle for top-down games. Mm. Again, because it lets you see the front and the top at the same time. So sort of the ultimate camera angle for 2D games is 45 <laughs> degrees down and 45 degrees sideways. That's the iso- In fact, that's the isometric, isometric. view, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Good old Take away the perspective view. and you've got isometric. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I mean, and, and those what's... those are stagings like that. That totally fits with this principle because, you know, the whole point of the isometric view is it is a way of staging your graphics so that they show as much of the building, say, or whatever it is, as possible to the viewer. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. That's, okay. So next? there's a there's quite a good book called The Animator Survival Kit, and this is much more of a practical guide to animating. So it gives you loads. It's it's um, written by written and drawn because it's a very visual book by the animator who did uh, Roger Rabbit. So right. he created Jessica Rabbit and stuff. He's a really good animator. And um, yeah, he basically gives a load of practical examples of like animations with all the frames drawn out. So you can see where there's more frames, less frames. You can see where all the squishing and stretching happens. And um, it's a, a, quite a good book if you actually want to get down into the nitty gritty if you are not just interested in knowing these principles but if you actually want to start making 2d animations it's a, a good one should we set up an amazon referral link <laughs> yeah, probably should do. a few more dollars <laughs> for the podcast <laughs> i also really like um do you know the photographer edward mybridge oh yeah of course famous 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 yeah so he he so took we should explain uh, who he is. Yeah, exactly. So he took a load of photos of people and animals doing actions. Yeah. Um, and uh, at quite a very fast frame rates. He basically invented high frame rate photography. Um, do, you, do you know the origin of that story? Um, I know With how he horse? built. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So do you want to explain it? Yeah. So <laughs> he had a bet. I think he was sort of trying to win or lose a bet, right? Which is or win a bet, I presume. <laughs> you know because and it's sort of mind-blowing to think to back to that time but basically the bet was whether a horse at any point during its gallop had all four feet off the ground yeah and so i didn't know i didn't know this was a bet but there there was a problem in oh, well, maybe story. it wasn't a bet there's a there's a problem with art before my bridge that depicts horses yeah. basically they didn't know how to draw them because they, they didn't in know full which, gallop yeah they, they didn't know which legs frame. were up and down exactly there was no way of free freeze framing it so there's some really lots of really bad things of it's like like bendy legs and bendy or, legs yeah or like but, splayed out legs in mid air it's absolutely <laughs> mind-blowing isn't it because these days in modern in the modern world we're we're used to freeze frame we're used to seeing things in slow motion we understand those things you can literally buy this it blows my mind but you literally have a if you have an iphone a modern iphone you have a (laughs) slow motion camera in your pocket but not only that That it's a crazy (laughs) idea like bear in mind 10 years ago most tv shows couldn't afford to do real slow motion they used to slow down 30 normal footage yeah you could get high speed 35 mil cameras though couldn't you just oh you could but yeah uh, yeah but for movies yeah but not for for tv no they you would just film it normally and then you would half speed it in (laughs) in premiere but it's not the same as proper um as proper slow motion footage it really says a lot about how savvy we are now about visual media right 
Yes. The, the, people don't know then. they're born these days. <laughs> but, you know, just the fact that people t- could not, there was no way to know whether a horse had all its four feet off the ground at one time until No, but then I think, I think that you can see. You can take a mental snapshot. And well, you can't. You think that now because you've seen how yeah, they run that's in slow the problem, motion. Isn't it? yeah. You're corrupted. You can't possibly know what I it was like before it, that, yeah. right? It's true. If, if it was that obvious, then they wouldn't have had to have this big thing that proved it, right? Yeah. So anyway, so he set up these cameras with trip wires in I a long it. line so that as the horse ran by, it tripped each camera one after the other. And so then you'd have like, a series of photos each depicting every point in the horse's gallop now is he doing this before film yeah yeah so he's almost the proto filmmaker in a way isn't he i don't think anyone had well that was the point he did this experiment and then of course he ran the you know he looked at the photos one after the other and that's when he realized it was making the horse move right and it looked like it was animated oh so he accidentally invented animation yeah, as far as I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I made that up, but that's, yeah, I think that's what triggered the sort of experiments into motion, film motion mm. and, then, and animation. And then, you know, he made hundreds of these series of photos of different yeah. motions. Um, and lots of naked humans. Yeah, it's but, that, you know, that was really important. And those are still great references. That's the crazy thing. They're still great references now. I actually use them very regularly if I find that an animation doesn't look realistic enough, mm. especially if, I, if I'm doing a walk or a run animation and it looks like the character has a limp, what I do is I go back to my bridge and I go, okay, which frame is this frame? Which frame is this frame? And I realise that quite often what I've done is gone too small on one of the motions. Mm. So if it's a run, I've put the leg at a certain amount, like 45 degrees, but actually it should be at 90 degrees or something. Um, I, could, I could have dreamt this though but i'm pretty sure that he also did loads of loads of these animations of people just doing ordinary everyday tasks like drinking a cup of tea or whatever um, yeah but they they were always naked <laughs> but that is that's okay that's part of art isn't it is you don't, they don't need to be body. naked drinking a cup of tea that's yeah. like fine if you're running along no but, but then they if could you're... have worn like pants or something you don't need to see the why why are you such a prude you're more prudish than a victorian <laughs> photographer <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying there was probably just a little bit of titillation there for him. He's like, no, I'm doing serious scientific research. They must be naked. Well, if you're going to start covering up all naked bodies in art, you're no, going to be there for a long could time. Have just so. worn some pants, no big deal. Anyway, let's move on. But I mean, you know, famous <laughs> painting by um, Marcel Duchamp called "New Descending a Staircase," which is inspired by uh, my bridge as well. Oh, really? Anyway, oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I recommend Animator Survivor Kit and I recommend just a Google image search of Edward Mybridge if you want to make your stuff look better. So those are my sort of general or our general thoughts on animation. Um, Next time, we're going to talk about music and audio. Great. I have lots to say about that. Which should be a good episode. Yeah, let's hope so. (laughs) Who knows? Thanks thanks. a lot. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can get us on Twitter at cc underscore pod. You can get me on Twitter at seb underscore ly. You can get me on Twitter at uh, Ian Lobb. And you can support us on Patreon if that's your back. 
That's uh, patreon.com slash creative coding. Cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.